calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a bonus Super Bowl Sunday episode of Bachelor Rush Hour. Are you ready, all you fans out there in out there land? I say it's time again. Have mercy, let the congregation say, hey man. It's time for the biggest, baddest party in the world. So get on up, turn it up a notch, and get ready to boogie, baby. Ow! February 12th, 2013. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Let's get into it. It's Dave Neal, stand-up comic and host of Bachelor Nation News. And this is the Rush Hour. I decided to give you guys a little extra content here on a Sunday. You're listening to Hank Williams Jr. Are you ready for some football? All right, you guys getting ready for tonight's game match the old super bowl i don't normally do weekend content but i gotta tell you i was feeling so much love from so many people after such a successful week on the podcast i wanted to get to some extra content as you guys know during the week bachelor rush hour is just a compilation of all of the activities in the bachelor world but i wanted to reach out to you guys the audience and do some more uh, sort of personalized content regarding our little parasocial relationship that is you me and all the things in between that connect us through the Bachelor uh, Nation. Okay, so we've got a few different questions I'm going to read. Uh, I posted on Instagram, dneals, D-N-E-A-L-Z. I posted, um, which podcast would you guys like me to go on? And I got so many great answers. I responded to all of them from uh, some podcasts I've already done, like Charlene's Dear Shandy and She's All Batch and Game of Roses, and then others that want me on Nick Vial's podcast and Caitlin Bristow, and I tagged them in the response. Juicy scoop for Heather McDonald. Um, of course, we have some new audience that just came up uh, through the Bachelor Party ranks. It's always interesting to me when new audience comes, our friend in Minnesota and some others, and say, oh, Dave, I never heard of you before. And it's, uh, you know, we live in such insulated worlds sometimes where you have your Bachelor podcast, that's the one you listen to, and you stick to it. And then every once in a while, you hear someone on another show, and you say, oh, I'll give that a shot. And then maybe you become a lifelong listener, maybe we become friends, you come to some live stand-up shows and it creates a whole new dynamic and I have to remind myself how valuable it is to spend my time going on other people's shows to build that equity in this product that we're creating, which of course we call Bachelor Rush Hour. Uh, eventually, maybe we'll drop The Bachelor and it'll just be The Rush Hour. Maybe we'll talk about other things. But for right now, that's the niche in which we grow and um, we will stick with that for the time being. Um, you know, But of course, uh, life goes on and who knows, who knows what that'll lead to right down the line. But I do like the idea of daily content. I do like the idea of being reliable for people who say, I wonder when Dave's going to drop a new episode. Well, it's going to be today, dummy. And um, that feeling of not not needing to know when, but the reliability that exists is something that's very, very important to me. 
So I asked on the Dave Neal community, which is a community of 2,000 or so members on Facebook. It's a private group. It's free. I asked them yesterday, I'm feeling grateful for all the new podcast love. I'm going to do a bonus episode tomorrow morning. Ask me anything here and I'll respond. Um, So we just got a couple comments on there I'll get to. Susan said, which bachelor in all of Bachelor Nation, would you want as a neighbor to hang out with and why? My first thought was Blake Horstman, because I'll tell you why. He's kind of a normal person. Like, no offense to people like Demi. Yeah, I like Demi, but like, I can just imagine Demi knocking on your door at all hours of the night and eating a cup of sugar or something. I feel like she'd be a lot for a neighbor. You know, you're out there mowing the lawn. She's like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, Whereas Blake Horstman, Pretty cool guy. Um, he's got a hot tub. That's important, and um, he's got a he's got a uh, he's got a serious girlfriend, which I think is good because while it would be nice to have like a party boy next door, I think it would get annoying when you know the wife is like, "Hey, Dave, can you go tell them to turn it down? It's after 11. You know that type of deal. Uh, so Blake Horseman's my nomination. Although I could, I mean, Caitlin Bristow would be really good. She's got a wine company. You know, you're short on a wine. You're like, "Hey, Caitlin, do you have any extra bottles?" She can't say no. Um, who would be a bad who would be a bad neighbor as much as i love um i was thinking of connor brennan i think he would be good um when it's um you know to invite over because he's got the guitar he can put the party together but um now he wouldn't be a bad neighbor um a bad neighbor would probably be someone who's messy you know it's like psychologically messy in the bachelor world and um i'm fearing throwing anyone under the bus right now um but either way um my neighbors right now are, boy, I can't even talk about them. It's, I've, cause I, I'm, I'm living, uh, not, I don't exactly live in fear, but I, I have an interesting neighborhood where some of my neighbors have uh, disclosed uh, things about their past. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, let's not mess with that guy. Uh, you know, but uh, we've got, what, what's great about my neighborhood in Los Angeles is that it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, high fruit bearing neighborhood. Every single house on my street has different fruit trees. There's something in the soil that makes fruit taste amazing. I don't know what it is. My property that I share with my landlord has papaya trees. It has banana, a huge banana tree. It's got a lemon tree, lime tree, and then uh, we have fresh oranges. I tried the oranges for the first time yesterday, and I'm going to tell you, it was a slice of heaven. I couldn't believe that came out of the soil. It was just amazing. So anyway, if anyone wants to be my neighbor, we've got fresh oranges ready for you. But um, let's go to the next question here. Uh, Bruce said, if you could plan a one-on-one date for The Bachelor, what would the date be? Same question for a group date. Well, here's the question. If you're going to do a one-on-one date, you have to look at it in two different ways. What's good for the couple versus what's good for the audience. For the audience, you 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 definitely understand why the show does like dates on a boat. They want to get the they want they want the visual element of like sexy young couples because it's a little easier to get a visual element than it is to get them to just open up. Um it's very obvious why they have the dinner date, which, you know, as you guys know, they don't actually eat the food. And that is because of editing purposes. Um, they want to be able to edit it in a way that doesn't have the continuity of like a half eaten chicken cacciatore. So the um, on most dates, you have an action uh, skydiving and then you have a sit down conversation, a.k.a. dinner and then some uh, and, and then some sort of music or hot tub or something that gets them close together for an end of a makeout. And that's really just a three act process when you look at it from from the um, like cinemagraphically. 
uh, is that is that the way to put it? Cine- cinemographically? Either way, uh, you look at the, get some action, get some dialogue, get some more kissing, or whatever else is going on. And that's why I think the uh, Night at the Museum date was pretty good, because they got to have some fun, they got to have the setup where they could like break things down, and then they could get kind of freaky by uh, you know going in the tent. Um, so if I could plan a one-on-one date, it would probably have to combine, and I haven't thought about this too much. It would have to be, you know, I, I personally like um, the idea of the dunk tank. I immediately start thinking of a dunk tank. So I like I like the idea of a carnival setup where you have different games you can play. Because, you know, carnival games are just like your standard barbecue stains on my white t-shirt. She was killing it in that mini skirt. You know what I mean? Like that kind of like take someone, you know, country song, take somebody to the old carnival on a Friday night, spend all the money. You got 25 bucks in your pocket. That's all That's all you're worth. And you're going to spend it all on cotton candy and hope. You know what I mean? That to me is old dirt road, nostalgic um, date. Um, but the other way to go is what we're going to see this following week, which is sort of a date that is Bahama themed, which is going to have the yacht kind of lifestyle. Um, both are good. Uh, so my date would probably be something like just a dunk tank at a carnival, uh, followed by maybe a uh, nice private moment on the old. Um, I mean, basically, my whole date sounds like, uh, you know, it's out of the movie The Notebook. But that's what I would. That's what I'm thinking. All right. Abby said, what do you find most difficult in regards to producing so much awesome content over multiple platforms? All right. What's most difficult? The thing, um, and let's read the second part of her question. And what do you find most rewarding in regards to producing so much awesome content over multiple platforms? I'll answer the second part first. The rewarding thing about the way I set up my podcast and YouTube, and if you've just found me on podcast, I make three to four YouTube videos a day. The rewarding part is having the ability to flow with the conversation. I can have my setup ready to go. But at the last second, if a new story breaks, I can jump on that. So my ability, I think the strongest element of my channel without talking about my character or whatever personality traits I bring to it, but from a from a technical standpoint, the strongest aspect of my channel is my ability to shift and move with whatever conversation is happening. So I might have a story about Caitlin. Uh, I might have a story about Hannah Brown ready to go, and I'm getting ready to hit publish. But then you find out that Blake Horstman broke up with Giannina. They didn't, but I'm just saying. I can immediately say, all right, in in you know breaking news, like all all energy goes to this. I mean, there's been times when my channel first started taking off, where I was cooking dinner with my my now wife, my my uh, my fiance at the time, and. Claire Crowley was spotted in Florida with Dale Moss. And I said, honey, this story needs my attention right now. Dinner will have to wait. And of course, she's super uh, understanding when there is a breaking news story. I would never say, I would never pull that card when it's not a card worth pulling. So I think the most rewarding part of what I produce is being able to be on top of stories and and people saying, oh, I knew when this story broke, I could come to YouTube and you would have some content for me. Um, That would probably be what I think um, makes me feel the most uh, uh, reliable is that there's trust between the audience and what I make that we're going to be there on a timely uh, fashion. All right, let's have a sip of coffee here. So the most difficult part of producing content over multiple platforms. With that um, ability to shift focus and with that ability to be light on my feet also comes the fact that I don't have any other producers working with me. Um 
I've thought about in the past, well, do I export my thumbnails and uh, some of my clerical work to a, a Fiverr or somebody else? And I just think about the time it would take to get somebody else to do the job that I can do real quickly. Um, as a stand-up comedian, I'm kind of like a lone wolf. That's how I work. You don't really have a big team around you. And if you do, I just always think, like for me, when I see Nick Vial's podcast, and God bless him, you know, it's, it's his, it's, he, he, he's got a different, you know, uh, way of functioning than I do. He has two producers and I think he's also got a sound engineer. So he's got a full team of people working for him, which is fine. It's, you know, it's more mouths to feed. But for me, I like to be in control of the creative process from beginning to end. And that's what, you know, helps me be light on my feet. But it also comes with the most difficult part, which is how much time it takes to make thumbnails, which is the main driving force in YouTube videos. When it comes to podcasting, I don't have to do any of that. So I actually enjoy talking. This is the easiest part. All I have to do is think of a semi-creative and search engine optimized title. But with YouTube, I spend probably 30 to 40 minutes on every thumbnail. Now, some I bang out quicker and some take longer. Most of my thumbnails are rich with data. I will include uh, pertinent tweets or, or text messages and have uh, the images tell the story. So it actually helps me by formulating the thumbnail. I'm actually um, formulating a lot of my thoughts and opinions in those moments, but it takes a lot of energy to do. I don't think by exporting that I would really ever trust someone else to tell that story. Maybe someday, but right now it's too valuable to make a good thumbnail. It's too valuable to make a great title. Um, and then that's the main visual that I have for the content that I actually make. So the mo most difficult in regards to producing so much content is um, compartmentalizing that time that I do all of that and making it all happen um, in 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 a, in a schedule that works for me. So mainly, I work from around on average seven thirty a.m. to I want to say noon, but it's really about one p.m. every day, and that's very that is usually producing um, three full YouTube videos, sometimes four. Um, a Patreon live stream, which I do at 10 a.m., and that's for the behind-the-scenes community that watches me make the content, uh, patreon.com slash Dave Neal, and also a podcast, which is the clips of the YouTube videos plus unique intros and, you know, whatever. So it's a lot that I put on my plate, and I try to get it done at a reasonable hour because I also try to save time and space for personal life, uh, and other things that come along, of course, stand-up comedy. I've got a big show on Wednesday with Katie Thurston. Um, I will be sharing probably at, le at the very least my full set of that show with the Patreon. So the Patreon will get all the private bonus content. I've been working on a new joke um, that I'm only going to be able to... I don't think I'll ever tell it and it's an, enti an entire... I'll never be able to tell this joke in its entirety until Wednesday because there's so many different elements to it. Uh, it's not a huge joke, but it's a new joke. And it's talking about the fantasy suite and how, um, you know, role playing uh, in the fantasy suite. We'll just leave it at that. So if you want to hear how that joke was, uh, has been going, I, I recorded it for the first time, I believe, actually maybe twice in, um, uh, in different stand-up sets over the last week and you can listen to those on the patreon channel but um of course part of our, you know i record my sets because i'm trying to uh not just uh you know uh, listen back to the the pacing of it but 
you know, trying to capture what's actually funny. What parts are people relating to in these jokes? And I have, and, and I think it's going to go really well. But if you want to see whether it goes really well or bombs, you're going to know after Wednesday. The show is sold out. I've got alumni asking me for tickets. Um, and um, there's been a few people that bought tickets that might have extras, but it's a completely sold out stand up show Wednesday night. Katie's going to be doing 10 minutes. We have two other comics. I'll probably be doing 20 to 30. And then we're going to have a live Q&A after, which I think will be important for the show. You know, we'll get an hour of stand-up in and then maybe 20 to 30 minutes of the live Q&A. And then after that, everyone who bought VIP tickets will do the meet and greet with Katie and myself. So it's going to be fantastic. It's the first of its kind that's ever been done, I believe, within the Bachelor world. Um, It's really going to be... it's really going to be fascinating to see how it all works out. I will for sure give you guys all the updates in the world on that. Um, now, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about here, and I saved it for the end because I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't like to use the word trigger people, but it's a sensitive conversation, and I'm not immune to receiving feedback from audience members. I've been talking about. Um, in yesterday's video about Eric Schwer, he had his first interview since his breakup with Gabby Windy, and I don't exactly remember. Ex- I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was talking about that I can understand why people like Eric Schwer want to go on the show. They're they're in their twenties. They don't have career aspects. They don't want to work a standard salary job. And I think some people took offense to this. I think I called it a cubicle. A junkie, like people don't want. Not everyone wants to work in a cubicle where they're walled off in some sort of prison-like uh, area. Now, I'm going to further elaborate on my opinions, but I wanted to play some comments from some of our fine audience on YouTube. Uh, the comment was, "Believe it or not, some people in their 20s actually like being quote-unquote cubicle junkies." as you call them, and wouldn't trade it for an influencer life. You can also call them office workers. You know, it's a bit less belittling. And then I responded, nobody likes working in a cubicle. The comparison isn't influencer versus cubicle. It's working for yourself, building equity versus having a job where you punch the clock for someone else's dreams. By all means, cash those checks. Just know corporations don't care about you. That's all. And then the person responded, Dave, not everyone wants to be self-made and don't mind working for someone else. You're literally working on a Saturday and you work every time you're on vacation. You're chasing your dreams and that's effing amazing. But please stop judging people that like the nine to five and to plan their weekends, not have their schedules revolve around the next bachelor news um i love your content and god knows i wouldn't have time to watch it if i wasn't starting up if i was starting up my own business like my brother who works 100 hours a week not many people care if their employer doesn't care about them employees don't care about their employer either it's a two-way street and everyone is replaceable even in the non-corporate world of bachelor recappers if you stop posting most people watching your videos will simply go find another recap channel the content might not be as good but we will be fine same ideas as with as with my employer they will simply hire another accountant she won't be as good but they will be fine and then my respond and i actually i never read that before it's a good response my response is the fight is with the bosses ma'am the cubicle is a metaphor we'll discuss this in today's bonus bachelor rush hour so yeah the idea that i there's nothing against the worker when i talk about this i just talk about like look we all love our job until until you know our company gets bought by another company and we get replaced when i used to work so there's nothing per se against the nine to five. There's uh, there's absolutely something very valuable about the people that can go to a job, know how much money they're going to make, and then can leave that job. Absolutely. It's not exactly about like 
uh, entrepreneurial life versus working for the man, as it's called. But whether, you know, if, if someone's triggered by me calling them cubicle junkies, you have to understand it is kind of like um, set up in a way like that, like a prison complex. And, you know, um, you get you get that 30 minute lunch break where you get to go out and be yourself or on Fridays you get to wear jeans. You know what I mean? That's the stuff that I rail against. So I can understand your defensiveness to think that I'm judging the worker, but that's not the case. And again, I'm in my 30s and someone in their 40s or 50s or 60s will have more experience than me. But just telling you, like a lot of people waste away very good years of their life working for someone who, you know, they think they're part of um, in a company that's got a grand vision and, and here's the steps to get to the corner office and here's the steps to get to that office. And then you find out that like, you know, it's all for naught when the economy turns, you know, you see companies like Disney that are generally great companies to work for. They normally say you lay off 7,000 employees and Google, Twitter, laying off people through emails. You just, you know, so when I talk about the psychopathic nature of corporate world, it's not the consumer that's the problem. The problem is, you know, dangling healthcare. So I love my healthcare where I work. That's not the problem. The problem is what happens when you no longer work there and you uh, slip and hurt your ankle and it wipes out your life savings. So that's the issue. I don't pretend that the entrepreneurial lifestyle is one that is easy. Um, I've done both. I've worked in corporations. I worked in advertising. And what I really liked about what I saw in advertising was that everyone who worked on the creative side, all the graphic designers that worked in advertising, they all had their own portfolio they were working on while also working for the quote unquote man, the advertising agency. And I got fired from that job for no real reason other than I sucked at the job. And then moments after I was fired, the company ended up laying off a bunch of people because this was before the 2008 recession. It was literally weeks before. So I probably would have been laid off if I wasn't fired. And uh, what I got to see was everyone who worked creatively had built this portfolio. We call it a portfolio, but I also, you can use equity or, or other terms in, in investment in their self. So they weren't just someone pushing papers or copying. And I'm not saying that's what your job is. If you are an accountant, accountants are highly in demand people. You can work for a firm or you can work for yourself. Not everyone has jobs where their skills are transferable. A lot of people lose their jobs to automation and then they have to find a whole new skill set. And that if you're in your 40s or 50s can be very daunting to do in a world that you, you know, in in a new age world that's out there. So everything I rail for is about taking control of your life and, you know, to respond to your thoughts of, oh, I've got to work on vacation. I don't have to do anything. I, we're going to be going to Bali in Indonesia. I have this like itch I need to scratch, which is creating content for me is fun. Um, to, uh, making, making content where I get to communicate with my audience. That's actually like recess to me. So I understand you say, oh, Dave, you're beholden to a schedule where you have to create content. First of all, I don't, I haven't really monetized this podcast yet. I'm up at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning because I enjoy, I've actually looked forward to responding to a lot of questions and things like that. So um, I just want to give you a little in, uh, insight into when you do something you love, and I'm not saying you don't, but when you do something you love, it doesn't feel like work. So, you know, you say, oh, my brother works 100 hours a week. Well, maybe, but maybe he actually really enjoys that because I think naturally as humans, we enjoy a struggle when we think that it's it's for a greater cause, like it's in a, uh, for a good investment. Uh, you know, if I buy a home and I have to spend 
a thousand hours ripping off the sheetrock and doing all the things and redesigning a bathroom. I'm going to enjoy doing that a lot more than if I was working for someone else making 10 bucks or 20 bucks an hour doing it because I can see the grand vision and the reward of it all. So it's kind of like how helping someone else move sucks. Uh, but when you're doing it yourself, you're like, or at least it's to a nicer place or whatever. Um, but anyway, I appreciate all of the, um, responses to that specific question i just i just felt and i hope you can appreciate my um the amount of time i've spent responding to it i felt like it 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 needed my tone to discuss rather than just a comment because it feels like there's a sort of a um i feel like my points on railing against employers and how they they can dangle quote-unquote work-life benefits over people as a way to like enjoy the workplace is my point and i think you're taking my point as in oh you're a sucker if you work in the cubicle and that's not my intention. So I'll make sure when I rail against the man in the future that that is known because the last thing I want is for you to think I'm shaming you for any of your life choices. Uh, we all, we all uh, march to the beat of a different drum and sometimes it lines up with a corporation, but not many people I think end up, you know, company man who is start and retire with the same company. It's cutthroat out there. Enjoy your jobs and whatever you do bring love into that, but also know no extra amount of work you do is going to be rewarded as it would be if you worked for yourself. And by that, I mean, no amount of, oh, I, I did twice as amount of uh, work. So they're going to double my salary. Now that only works if you're in sales, right? They're just going to go, all right, now she can do twice as amount of work. Like you're only, you're only, you're beholden to the middle manager that's right above you. And then whatever benchmarks they have, and it goes up the chain in some sad human centipede. That's how I feel. That is no shame to the employee, employee, that is a fight against how I think corporations continue to squeeze more and more out of their employees for less and less. And I think we can see that because overall, and again, not to rail on it, but you, you, if you're an accountant, maybe you have a, a high paying job, but overall people's work-life balance has skewed where people are working longer, making less, not keeping up with inflation and all of that. And I just see it and it looks devastating to folks out there. So I use my experience as building equity in what I do and try to share that with others who may want to do the same in a creative world or an entrepreneurial world, not for everybody. But in the end, I do believe healthcare should be removed from the employer. It's an unfair advantage that they have that they can dangle that, you know, that they can dangle the human right of having a healthy body over our heads um, in a system that I don't believe is helpful. Like, you know, I got, you know, I like to go in the backyard at 1 p.m. when I'm done, when I'm done with my day and I like to go, um, uh, you know, get, grab some sun, some vitamin D, you know, go out and do a whole, you know, my, my life is super flexible. So the idea that I just, um, I'm, that I'm a slave to the work when I'm on vacation is not an exact portrayal of what it is. I probably work four or five hours a day, but I can work from anywhere in the world. So I have the ability to travel and go to um, far off lands. I'm going to Indonesia and um, I'm going to Bali and the Maldives this year. And who knows, maybe even an African safari. So we've got a lot in the works, but I'm going to continue sharing all of that with you guys. Again, no judgments out there. Just want to try to find some new ways to relate to you guys through the podcast. So if you haven't 
already. Join the community on Facebook, Dave Neal's community. It is free and you can leave comments over there. It's a good place for us to all chat. And if you want to put any bread in the tip jar, you can do that at patreon.com slash Dave Neal. We will have tons of extra content over there with regards to the stand-up comedy shows and and the live Q&A and all of the behind the scenes stuff. So that's where you can find me and I'm going to call it for the day. I hope everyone has a fantastic Super Bowl. I hope you enjoyed this extra little bonus conversation that we had. If you haven't already, please give us a nice rating on the podcast app uh, wherever you listen Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher SoundCloud iHeartRadio wherever it is if they have a tool where you can rate it share it with your friends share it with your communities it helps the channel keep growing if there's any podcast you want to hear me on by all means reach out to them Juicy Scoop Nick Vial, Caitlin Bristow Jason Tartik these are the big ones that it would be awesome to keep growing the channel with having these insightful I hope conversations with you guys alright folks I've been Dave Neal this was Bachelor Rush Hour We've got the team on the field and we turned up the lights. All my rowdy friends are back for Monday night time. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.